All right, so last week we talked about sandcastles. We talked about this idea of truth crashing on the, way, the, the shores of sandcastles that people were building up and, and talking about Pilate and the religious leaders. And this week, I want to continue that thought. I want to continue that story, but I want to talk about that truth that I was saying was, was crashing onto the shores of their sandcastle. I want you to think of your favorite movie that has, like, plot twists. Can anyone, like, shout one out that's like, man, that one will just, like, drive you crazy? Storks. Storks. Plot twist city on storks. Anyway, so, so imagine your favorite. I'm going to pretend like I heard all of those. I, I value your input. So, so think about that movie and the plot twists that are moving through that, and then all of a sudden, it all starts to make sense. It all starts to go down, and it's all like, oh, that, that's it. This is what it's been about this entire time. The gospel and Jesus and this story that we've been reading about his crucifixion is that moment in humanity, is where all these plot twists finally work their way out and start to happen in front of people's eyes. And I want to talk about that truth because Jesus wasn't surprised about all this. And I think sometimes we, we give him in this position that says, like, he's this, this powerless victim to what is happening. And that's not true. The story goes way back. And Jesus knows exactly what's happening because God knows what's happening in this moment. God knew that we couldn't do it alone. And the rest of the Bible is this story, this plot twist. Everything is this story of God following through on how much he loves you and how he's going to fix it and how he's going to give you an opportunity to get back to him. The Bible's the entire story of that and how he made a way. And I want to show you some evidence that, that this situation, that, that Jesus' crucifixion, that this trial, that Pilate, the religious leaders, it all wasn't just an accident. It all wasn't just by chance. It all wasn't just a coincidence. Like, oh man, we find ourselves here in this situation. There's so much more to that. And once you start to see that, you understand how much God loves you. I want to show you some prophecies. Now, prophets are these Old Testament people that would speak on the behalf of God to let people know what God had to say to them. And also what would come in the future, according to God. And these prophecies that I'm going to show you are hundreds and hundreds of years before written down, before Jesus ever walked on this earth, on this earth. These were written hundreds of years ago saying, this is what will happen. And either it was true or it wasn't true. The first one I want to look at shows, and all of these shows the process of the cross. And shows that the entire Bible is the process leading up to the cross. So we don't have to think it's just an accident, but that it's definitely, definitely, definitely a part of God's story that we're a part of. We are a part of God's story. God's not a part of our story, okay? This first prophecy I want to show you comes from Psalm 35, 11. It says, malicious witnesses rise up and they ask me of things I do not know. And the fulfillment of that prophecy, showing that it wasn't just coincidence, in Matthew, when Jesus is going through all this stuff, it says, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus in order that they might put him to death. And they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. 600 years ago, it happened. It wasn't just a chance. It wasn't just an accident. It wasn't just a situation. Next prophecy, Isaiah 50 I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Fulfillment, here's Jesus. 
Matthew 27, they spat on him. And they took a reed, which is just a stick, and they began beating him on the head, humiliating. It happened. The next one, prophecy, Isaiah 53, says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. It happened. Matthew 27, it says, And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he made no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they're bringing against you? Do you not hear these things? He did not answer him in regard to even a single charge. So that the governor was quite amazed. Why? Because he knew what was happening. And he knew it was going to happen. This isn't surprising Jesus. He goes, God loves these people so much. I know exactly what's going on. Next prophecy, this is the last one, and there's so many. There's so many. I just picked a few. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions, for our sins, for our shortcomings. He was crushed for our iniquities, our problems. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. By his beating, we are healed. In Matthew 27, it happened. 600 years later, it happened. Matthew 27, then he realized he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. And after weaving a crown of thorns and putting it on his head and reading in his right hand, they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He was humiliated. Now, okay, this gives us some evidence historic evidence that this isn't just chance, that this is a part of something bigger, that this wasn't just an accident that Jesus fell into. This wasn't just a situation that he fell into. There's evidence that this has long been the story and long been the plan. Why? Because God loves you. And then we have the evidence that Jesus is pointing back to the prophecy saying, yeah, that's me. And listen, little to no Serious historians are arguing whether or not Jesus walked on this planet. They're not talking about that. They're talking about whether he's God or not. Little to no one denies the fact that Jesus walked on this planet. Credible historians. Little to no one argues that fact. So we have this man that's historically proven, or or, or we have evidence that he is on this planet, pointing back to these prophecies saying, That's me. In the Gospels, he pulls up those prophecies and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That's you. That's me. And recovery of sight for the blind and to set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, handed it to a dude, sat down, and everybody stared at him. He goes, It's me. It's happening. This is happening. He said that, and they wanted to kill him for it because he was claiming to be the son of God. And they tried to kill him, but didn't succeed that day. Now, I want you to think of the probability of these things happening. Does anybody know the probability of getting the March Madness bracket 100% correct? I shared these facts at the beginning of the year. Can I tell you? It is 1 in 9.2 quintillion. Those are the odds. Comparatively, the odds of finding a four-leaf clover is one in 10,000. Check this out. Spencer, don't fail me now. 
There it is. Eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. One and ten to the seventeenth. That's what that looks like. One chance that he would fulfill eight of them. To fulfill 48 prophecies, one chance and ten to the 157th power. There were hundreds of prophecies, and he crushed them. Everything that was said this man would be, it happened. Everything that was said this man would do, it happened. I want you to see that this gives evidence that this isn't just a mistake, but that God has a plan, and he has a plan because he loves you. Because he wants to save you, and he wants to pay the bounty of a perfect life that was placed on your head when sin entered the world. When you enter the world, and when you sinned. My point is all of this is God breathed. It's God in motion. It's God acting. It's God being aware and with you and providing you a way. I mean, Jesus even predicted his own death, the trials, the beatings, and even his resurrection. This was no surprise. Yeah, he agonized over it. He said, God, if there's any other way, please. So nervous he sweat blood. He's saying, if there's any other way, please provide it. But then he says, your will be done. Why? Because he understood that God loved you so much that he was going to save you. Jesus wasn't a victim. He was a savior. He was this courageous, courageous person that decided to step into this. That knew he would step into this because God loves you. Jesus says in Luke, says it is necessary that the Son of Man proceeded to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the religious leaders, high priests, religious scholars, and be killed and on the third day raised up alive. This was like halfway through his whole like Jesus tour thing. And he's saying, hey, this is how it's going to go down. And everybody missed it because they were all sad. They were like, what? You're going to die? I thought you were the king of the world. He called them. He does it again later, right before they go into Jerusalem, when all this starts happening, when the plot twists start coming together. He says, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that was written about the prophets, about the Son of Man, will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him, and they'll kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. You show me. You show me a man who predicts his death and his resurrection and gets it right and is alive to tell the story. You can't. Why? Because there's no other king. Because Jesus is that man. These were only two of the times where Jesus was telling everyone what was going on. So why did they want him dead? Why did they want him dead? Because he was claiming to be the son of God. Jesus, during this entire process, knew what was happening, and he wasn't confused about who he was. He wasn't saying, well, I think I might be this. No, he was saying, this is, this is what's happening. I'm here to save the world. Are you in or are you out? I am the Son of God. He's saying these things. And it's making the religious people mad because, one, people are listening, and they're losing their power, and, two, they're losing their popularity. They're like, kill him. We're done with this. Kill him. So here we are with Pilate. Matthew 27, verse 11. Now listen, with all of this, I hope out of all of this that you read the gospel different, that you listen to the Easter story different, that you read what we're about to read different, that you understand that all of this has a purpose because God loves you so much. It's not just chance. It's not just, oh, we're really lucky that happened. It was a plan for God to save your soul. I want you to understand that. Matthew 27, verse 11. 
Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He said, You have said so. Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate said, Don't you hear the testimonies they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Why? Because he knew the will of God was to allow this to happen. The will of God was to love you and save you and allow this process to happen. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. This was Pilate's chance of going, I know this guy's innocent. Maybe if I give him like a choice with a prisoner who's obviously guilty, who's like a murderer and a thief and a crook, if I give him a chance to choose between those people, maybe, maybe I can like work it so this, this, this innocent man doesn't have to go to the cross. At the time, they had a well-known prisoner known, named was Jesus Barabbas. Now, I talked to Scott earlier. Jesus was actually a common name in the day. It's like we might have a few Jacksons or something in the crowd, right? It was actually a common name. We'll go by Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want to release? Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they handed Jesus over to him. He's saying, I know they gave me this innocent Jesus, the Messiah, because he was messing with their sandcastle. He was messing with their popularity. He was messing with their comfort. And while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Didn't stop it because it was the will of God that he saves your soul. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They said, crucify him. Why? Why? What crime has he committed? What wrong has he done? They said, crucify him. And Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but then that it, an uproar was starting, that a riot was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's on your responsibility. It's on your watch. And they said, oh, it's, it's on us and our children. They're saying, we'll take responsibility, we'll kill him, and we'll be proud of it. And then he released Barabbas to them, a guilty man. But Jesus, but he had Jesus flogged. You ever hit your funny bone? That's a nerve. Imagine getting your nerves ripped from your skeleton. That's flogging. It's a whip with sharp things on the end that literally rips your flesh from your body. That's flogging. And handed him over to be crucified. So why does this matter? Why does this matter to you? Why does this matter to anybody in this room? Because you've got a price on your head. Simply by being human. And that price is for a perfect life. Why does this matter to you? Because God loves you so much that he wants to change the story for you. Why does this matter to you? Because you're Barabbas. 
because I'm Barabbas. Because you are guilty, guilty, guilty in the eyes of God. Yet for the love of God and for the sake of Jesus, Jesus allows you to walk free. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free? Open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. They give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience of Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the heavenly Father. Christ 
died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas. Even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves them. And the nerve, the call, the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I'm going to work hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it. No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin. You will not overcome it, and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they started to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. God, I, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh, God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sin, son. This is all we got. It's all I got, it's all you got. We can play games, we can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be? But there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. And I give him my sin. Let's stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance why Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off? Thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free. It's still Jesus, it'll always be Jesus, 
It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is 